Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thanks for having a desire to be your best at work and help your organization achieve success. This podcast is all about actions we can take to improve workplace culture and achieve results, and they're all aligned to our nine principles for organizational excellence. Over the past several episodes, I've focused on defining high-performing behaviors. Why? When we engage in a conversation about recognizing high performers, leaders know who they are, but have a difficult time describing what people do that makes them a high performer. The leaders also ask about the expectations they can focus on when coaching solid performers who want to improve. You know, in the high performer episodes, I've provided food for thought on ways leaders consider high performance. It's important that we talk about these traits to determine how we mature our leaders and employees to continuously improve. Now, over the last year, I've also presented the high-performing behaviors to groups of leaders and then spent time engaging in small group and one-on-one conversations with leaders. And inevitably and often, leaders ask what they do with executive leaders who are barriers to leading their teams and being able to, for them as leaders to grow and improve. And working toward responding to this question, I created a fictional scenario born from years of conversations with leaders. And then I apply some tips recommended by Preston Nye to help us sort out through the dilemma at hand. You know, more about Preston Nye when we get to the eight tips in the episode. Right now, let's begin with the scenario. Let's say I'm having a one-on-one conversation with a leader. The leader asks me this question. What if I'm expected to implement a project directed by an executive leader and the executive leader doesn't allow me to engage in meaningful conversations to solve problems? And the leader said that they've been asked to implement something in their unit that forces tremendous change in the unit. And the leader said to me that they're not against the change, but the leader has to manage and lead that change to get a good outcome. But they realize that's was necessary for them as leaders to be able to do. So I I say, you know, that seems reasonable. So what's the issue at hand? The leader says that the executive leader always has to have control of the conversation and uses various approaches and meetings to shut down conversation when talking about this project, anything that deals with change. I asked the leader to tell me what that looked like when it occurred. Here are some of the examples the leader provided. The leader says to me, the executive provides a step-by-step process, you know, with this kind of compliance checklist to get things done. The executive leader's expectation is that I use this checklist with my team, you know, to get the job done. My job as a leader is to follow those steps outline and get everyone else to do the same, you know, get everybody on board. So I asked the leader, how, how did that feel to you? The leader said, I'm willing to do that, but I ask the executive leader to help me communicate the why for the project so that I can get the right work done in a, in a meaningful way. And it's not easy making change occur in an organization in my unit. And when people know why they are doing something and the implications of the outcomes, I find they're more trusting of getting the work done, even if they don't agree with all the steps that we're taking. And the response from the executive, the leader said, is, oh, this is the way we've done it with all the units, you know, with X and Y units, with all the units, we've done it. We've had a standard protocol for how we implement this change and we've done it successfully without the history of this organization. You know, I ask, I ask the leader then, well, what did that response feel like? 
And the leader said, the executive leader shut me down. I felt shut down. It didn't seem like the executive leader was open to input at all. Now, I wonder if there are negative consequences for our unit, you know, that no one wants to share. I mean, the, the executive leader doesn't want to share that. Maybe there's something the executive leader knows that, that they're not sharing. I don't, I don't believe that it's been successful throughout the history of the organization. I don't see evidence of that. It's, it's what's being dictated to people. That's the way I feel. You know, I, I ask, what if you pushed here? You know, let the executive leader know that you had concerns and being clear with what the concerns are. What if you pushed here? The leader said, well, that had occurred to a certain extent. The executive leader said that they would talk about it at the next meeting when I addressed the concerns. So I said, okay, that seems reasonable. So I asked, you know, did that occur? <laughs> the leader said that the meeting occurred, no agenda. The executive leader talked about 90% of the time, but I was unclear what was being said. It seemed a lot of talk about nothing. The leader said it felt like the executive leader could now say that the issue was addressed when in reality, it, it wasn't at all. I asked if there was something else that described the situation at hand. And the leader said that the executive hoards information. You know, so I asked, what does that mean? And the leader said, I asked if I could see examples of how the project was implemented in other departments. You know, I wanted to note areas of things that worked and things that didn't work as well so that we could have see the opportunities for improvement. I told the executive I was asking for information so that I could learn from what others did. So I asked, did you get the information? And the leader said that the executive didn't respond at all. He didn't respond. They just changed, changed the subject. I asked, is there anything else you can think of or that you'd like to add? The leader said, the executive tends to do, you know, two things. Push responses to managing others down, saying, Things like, I'm doing this because others, usually other leaders, didn't do their jobs. Or the executive positions me as someone they can help, indicating that I've been slighted by other executives. The leader said to me, it, it reminds me of what you talk about when you use the term we, they, except it seems deeper than that. What I interpreted the leader to say is that I'm positioned as the weaker person that the executive leader can help. You know, I, I, don't, I don't want help. I don't want to be part of that conversation with the executive and others. That conversation may not occur at all, which is fine by me, or the executive may position me in a, in a negative light to others. I don't know what that conversation would be like. I feel like that was a way the executive leader put me in my place, yet positioned it so that I felt somewhat indebted to the executive. Maybe I'm being oversensitive. I just, I just felt that way. Although I created this as a scenario under the situation could be real in the workplace. You may know of a situation somewhat like it or one that you could think about as I was playing out the scenario. And as I'm in the field working with leaders and organizations, I'm hearing this type of conversation occur more often than usual. I found these types of situations to be extremely difficult for leaders to address. And sometimes it's leaders acting this way. At other times, it's employees acting this way to gain power in the organization. And regardless, it's extremely difficult to manage and important for us to talk about. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I found the work of Preston Nye to be very helpful. He's a professor, coach, trainer, and course designer in the areas of interpersonal effectiveness, professional communication, cross-cultural understanding, and organizational change. 
with 20 years of experience, he's worked with Fortune 500 companies, you know, including Microsoft, Hewlett Packard, Lockheed Martin, Intel, Visa, and eBay, as well as coached executives, managers, and private individuals to identify their catalysts for success. In this podcast, I highlight eight tips from his article in Psychology Today, How to Spot and Stop Manipulators, Eight Tips for Keeping Them at a Distance or Breaking Free. It gives us a starting place on how to handle situations like those presented in this scenario or others that you can think about. I think the key here, which is difficult to admit, is that when we're experiencing people in organizations who are displaying the type of behaviors outlined in this scenario, you know, we're dealing with people who are manipulating us. Most of us have been victim to this. And at times we may have exhibited a manipulative behavior in, in the workplace. Now let's start with summarizing recommendations from Preston Nye, who I believe can help us. Why do people manipulate others? Nye tells us that when people know their argument is based on shaky half-truths or lies, they may try to position themselves as an expert or mask the details so that you don't know or have the context to recognize deception. And they make it that way. He says that this is a form of intellectual bullying. That's what Nye writes about in the article I'm highlighting today. Let's start with making an important distinction between healthy social influence and manipulation. Influence is healthy when we exchange and give and take conversations, building constructive relationships. Manipulation is occurring when one person is used for the benefit of another. A manipulator deliberately creates an imbalance of power and exploits someone and situations to serve their agenda. It's their agenda that's most important, and it's to the detriment of others' well-being. The NIE provides four common characteristics of manipulative individuals. Listen to these. They know how to detect others' weaknesses. They use weaknesses against a person. They maneuver to convince people to give up something that serves their self-centered interests. And once a manipulator succeeds in taking advantage of a person, they likely repeat that violation of the individual until that individual puts a stop to it. The leader and others in organizations experiencing manipulation are in tough situations. We know the root causes for chronic manipulation are complex and not easy for people experiencing the manipulative behaviors. So let's turn to eight tips that Preston I provides us to see which ones may work for us in our organizations. Here are the recommendations I would provide the leaders that I've been talking to while thinking about the scenario I presented at the beginning. And here's nice advice. First, know your fundamental human rights when you are being violated. As long as you do no harm to others, you have the right to defend your human rights. Nye states these rights establish your boundaries. Importantly, you have the power and moral authority to declare that it is you, not the manipulator, who's in charge of you. So here they are. You have the right to be treated with respect. You have the right to express your feelings, opinions, and wants. You have the right to set your own priorities. You have the right to say no without feeling guilty. You have the right to get what you pay for. You have the right to have opinions different than others. You have the right to take care of and protect yourself from being threatened physically, mentally, and emotionally. And you have the right 
to create your own happy and healthy life. Second, when possible, keep your distance from the manipulator. A manipulator tends to act differently in front of different people and in different situations you know, to the extreme. They change the way they act toward others, like being polite in one situation and rude in another. You know, they're unpredictable. When possible, place distance between you and the manipulator, knowing this is not always possible, but especially if they're, they're your boss or owning a project that has power of you. But if you can, put distance there. Third, avoid personalizing what is occurring or blaming yourself. When something is not going right, don't blame yourself to satisfy the manipulator. It's an Important to remember when in these situations, you know, we're not the problem. Nye tells us you're simply being manipulated to feel bad about yourself so that you're more likely to surrender your power and rights. Fourth, put the focus on the manipulator by asking probing questions. As you can see in the scenario I presented, the executive leader was making demands on the leader to meet the executive leader's needs. There wasn't an open door for collaborative communication. So when this occurs, and I suggest we try to ask the manipulator probing questions. And some of those questions could be like this. The leader may ask, does this request seem reasonable to you? Does what you want from me sound fair? Do I have a say in this? Are you asking me or telling me? What do I or our team get out of this? And are you expecting me and you can restate the inequitable, harmful thing to the organization or people. Restate, are you expecting me to do this request? Thinking of the scenario presented, if the leader asks questions like these to the executive leader, and the leader puts up a mirror in front of that manipulator, the executive leader, this brings forward the true nature of the person. If the executive leader has a degree of self-awareness in this scenario, they'll likely back down and become more open for productive solution finding. You know, on the other hand, if the executive leader dismisses the questions and insists on getting their way, and I suggest that we go to the next set of tips. You know, in our organizations, when we're working alongside colleagues who are exhibiting manipulative behaviors, I recommend that you work with your human resource team members, especially as you begin to dig a little deeper in confronting the manipulator. Let the individuals in your organization, the human resources department colleagues, help you navigate moving through the next tips. You don't have to go it alone. I've had people tell me that they don't trust that in the organization, that sometimes their human resource departments aren't to be trusted. Well, if so, find a professional outside of the organization who can help you manage through this in a safe way to get a better outcome. It's important for you to feel safe. Don't go this alone. Yet find a way to have the courage to address the manipulator. That's what we're trying to get to. At times I've seen people leave their positions when they're in facing a manipulated behavior of others. That may be in the best interest or their best interest, but leaving without addressing the issue also leaves others having to continue to deal with manipulators in organizations. And this is difficult and a personal decision. I realize that it's worth good deep thought. Let's turn to some of Nye's tips when the first four aren't moving the manipulator away from negative behaviors. So the fifth is use time to your advantage. Instead of responding right away, say things like, let me think about it. Take the time you need to evaluate the pros and cons of a situation and consider whether you want to 
negotiate a more equitable arrangement, or if you're better off saying no. Take time to focus on how you will respond. Put time into doing this deep work. And then six, know how to say no, diplomatically, but firmly. It allows you to stand your ground while maintaining a workable relationship. And this is so important that I'll take this topic on next Monday. It's so difficult for all of us to do. And seventh, confront bullies safely. Nye tells us that a manipulator becomes a bully when he or she intimidates or harms another person. My add here is that harm can come in many different forms. And if we fear someone will cause us emotional harm, we then lead with fear and that's not productive. Therefore, Nye's suggestion is important for leaders to hear. The most important thing to keep in mind about manipulators is that they pick up on those whom they perceive as weaker. So those that remain passive and compliant are bigger targets. Showing a backbone and standing up to situations tends to cause the manipulator to back off. And this is not easy. We need to make sure we consider several factors when doing this. And place yourself in a position where you can safely protect yourself. Determine if you can do this on your own or have other people present or keep a paper trail of inappropriate behaviors. You don't have to do this alone. So again, connect with someone in your organizations that presides assistance. Your HR department should be there to help provide the protections and give you some advice. And the eighth and final tip is to set consequences. When a manipulator insists on violating your boundaries and won't take no for an answer, we have to deploy consequences. Again, don't go this alone in your organization. The ability to identify and assert consequences is one of the most important skills you can use to stand down a difficult person. Effectively articulated consequence gives pause to the manipulative individual and it moves to the outcome of shifting the manipulator's behavior. You know, next week we'll focus on how to say no in, in these situations as kind of a starting point of moving forward with these last steps. You know, this week, take some time to reflect on the thoughts from this episode. You've heard me say that sometimes people who are believed to be high performers within their professional areas are lethal if they are manipulators. Our job is not to save them. We can't. They have to change their behaviors and own that change. Our job as leaders, however, is to save those on our team who are affected by manipulators. If leaders are affected by executive leaders who are manipulators, our teams are as well. If leaders don't do anything about employees who are manipulators, our teams are ne negatively affected by these leaders not fulfilling their responsibilities as leaders. This is one of the most difficult aspects of being a leader, addressing manipulators in the workplace. And it is especially difficult if a manipulator is one of the executive leaders. Now I'm gonna end with this strong statement. If there's an executive leader at an organization who is a manipulator and other executives know that, especially the boss of the executive manipulator, the manipulator needs to be removed from their position. If not, the manipulator is there for a purpose that gives other executives a shield to hide behind delivering difficult change. But I end with this today. I've worked with executive teams this past year in deeper ways than ever. 
and the chief executives are facing difficult changes with great urgency. I've seen chief executives make necessary and difficult changes with their executive teams, and I have the deepest appreciation for them doing the right thing for those they serve. They have dug deep to make difficult decisions that are for the best interest of the people in their organizations. That's what we have to do. That's the change. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.